trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome to the show. Oh, we have some things to discuss today. By the way, the phone lines are open. Haven't taken a lot of calls this week, but if you're game, so am I. 801-331-8113. I know there's a lot going on. We'll try to cover as much as we can. Of course, uh, wrong think is is one of the byproducts of the things that we tend to discuss, but I just I have to say this, the ultimate goal here is truth, justice and the American way. Oh no, wait, that was Superman's thing. Um Actually, my my goal is just simply to uh, hopefully get people thinking at a slightly deeper level. And that's myself included, okay? It's not like, uh, yes, from my ivory tower, I will tell you what you should think and what you should say. And uh, no, I'm trying to find the truth as, as best I can, too. Now, in the show notes today, you are going to find what I think may be one of the most comprehensive analyses of the uh, incident involving Kyle Rittenhouse in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I've talked about it the last couple of days. I've told you this kid is going to be a household name. Oh, and he is, and not necessarily in a good way. Unfortunately, that uh, that's the downside of that's the downside of being subject to the news cycle. And this seventeen-year-old uh, young man who showed up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, to help protect businesses against looters, arsonists, protesters who were uh, taking out their frustration on other people's private property. In other words, creating more victims in the name of fighting injustice. He was uh, among a very uh, sizable group of people who showed up armed to prevent that from happening. Now, some people would say, well, you have no right to show up armed and do anything like that. And I, I would disagree and, in fact, the people who are looking for qualifiers, well, you know, under the law, he was only 17. He can't really even own a gun or have a gun in his possession. Do you know Wisconsin law? Do you know what it actually says? Because there are people who have actually done the research, and, no, he was actually completely fine to be in possession of a firearm under Wisconsin law. The bigger question here, and this is the thing that I hope we don't lose sight of, it is a natural right, meaning it pre-exists government. It exists outside of any laws of man. It is a law of nature that you have the right to defend life, liberty, and even property. Now, in our time, that defense is most likely going to be done with the most useful tool for defending these things, and that would be a firearm. And I say this not because I think everybody ought to be strapping on an AR-15 and, you know, going out looking for trouble. I don't think he was looking for trouble necessarily either, by the way. I'm just, I'm making the point. It is an absolute natural right for a person to defensively have the capability of exerting force to negate the lethally aggressive behavior of other individuals. Now, you may be saying, well, but what lethally aggressive behavior could there possibly have been? Oh, I don't know. 
Could we look at the riot? <laughs> Could we look at the, the arson that was going on? Can we look at innocent people being dragged from their cars when their windows are smashed and being beaten to a cripple or in some cases beat to death, as we saw in Detroit earlier this week? My point is simply this. There's plenty of lethal aggression on display by the angry mob. Oh, I know, but they're just protesters and they're mostly peaceful. CNN, actually, this is, this is not a joke. This is not a Babylon B headline. CNN had a headline that said, fiery, fiery but mostly peaceful protests, you know, mark, uh, mark, you know, killing in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And this is, this is the police having shot to the, the individual earlier in the week. Fiery but mostly peaceful protest. I, I'm still just trying to get my mind around that. It's as bad as, you know, uh, who was it? Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul and his wife attacked by a mob. I mean, they're with a police escort and the mob still is trying to attack him as they're walking away from, uh, I think it was from the White House yesterday evening. And ABC News, well, Rand Paul claims angry mob threatened him. And I think, okay, if there's any good that has come out of this, it's the fact that that whatever credibility, whatever shred or sliver of credibility remained with the heritage media, it's gone. When they resort to such things as, well, who are you going to believe? Our gaslighting headlines or your lying eyes? And that's the same thing that uh, was attempted, of course, with, uh, with a lot of the coverage of uh, this Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, he was a trigger-happy fascist? Who was out there? Just uh, he was a fascist in training, right? Because I think he was he was a like junior police cadet or something like that, and he showed up at this mostly peaceful protest and just started gunning down future Nobel Prize nominees. If that is what you have heard, and I'm seeing a lot of this on social media. By the way, the the disturbing part isn't you know coming from the the folks who have have traditionally leaned towards Antifa, leaned towards social justice warrior tendencies. As sad as it makes me to say this, a lot of those friends who have slipped through that event horizon of irrationality, I don't think they're coming back. So rather than irritate them or try to persuade them, hey, maybe there's more here, I try to focus on those people who are still trying to ascertain what is going on, what's happening in the world, how can I make sense of it? But I'm seeing this come from a number of people who I think would, in most people's eyes, qualify as upstanding conservatives or citizens who you know they they generally will do the right thing they're not out there being crazy about social justice and they're the ones saying well this kid had no reason being there and he had no right to to intervene on some about somebody else's property baloney and i say this as someone who showed up unarmed to bundy ranch in 2014 now i saw a lot of people who showed up who did have firearms some long guns lots of handguns but the reason they showed up is because there was a credible threat to innocent life. And that is absolutely our right as Americans. And I still would maintain, even though it makes some people angry, it was the right thing to do. And I think the fact that the Bundys uh, are free individuals, with the exception of Ammon for a couple of times this week, getting arrested at the Idaho legislature, I think that that bears it out. It wasn't lawlessness on the part of the Bundys or the people who showed up to support them. It was Americans standing up for their fellow men in the face of lethal aggression. 
Now, in that case, it was on the part of government employees. In this case, it's a bunch of, you know, nihilist freelancers who are out there just destroying and agitating and doing what they can to bring violence to everybody else. So in the show notes today, I want you to, if if you're interested in getting a better view of the, the situation, look, I have my take, and I may well be wrong, so I'm not saying you have to agree with me, but the most comprehensive tactical and legal analysis of the incident that I've ever seen, it was prepared by an attorney, but the detail that he goes into, the videos, the photographic evidence, he builds a very, very strong case that shows here is what appears to have happened. And there's places where he's had to go through and say, okay, in light of further evidence, we have to correct this. And, and say, for instance, it wasn't a flaming bag that uh, the, the first individual who accosted Kyle Rittenhouse and, and was shot for his troubles, it wasn't a flaming bag of something he threw. It was just, it was a plastic bag. The way the lighting was in the videos made it look like there may have been flames coming off it. But I have a link to this analysis in the show notes, which you can find at the I've been I've been pestering people all day long on Facebook and I'm trying not to do it in an obnoxious way. It's not like ah, you're owned. I'm just saying, here's the data. Maybe you should take a look at it. And some people, you know, predictably are it's from a website called AR15.com, at which point I have to remind him, be a grown up, look at the data. And if the data's wrong, then dismiss it based on the fact that that data's wrong. But if you're just letting yourself be, you know, knee-jerky over, well, you know, I don't know what other website would have published it. I think the American Law Journal was offered a chance to, to post it. They declined hmm, for strange reasons. But I bet you could make a very informed conclusion after examining this, this evidence for yourself. So again, go to the website, thebrianhydeshow.com. It's in today's show notes, today being the 28th of August in this, the year 2020 of our Lord. You may not agree still. You might still think that uh, Kyle Rittenhouse had no business being in Kenosha, Wisconsin. But at the very least, you will have a much more clear understanding of the, the people who were involved, the uh, timeline of events as they played out. And I'll let you make the choice of what you think. By the way, I would like to know what you think about the incident if you are willing to call in. 801-331-8113. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Our program brought to you in part today by Firesteel.com, as well as the Staples-Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. I know if you're thinking about uh, getting yourself a, a refi, maybe you're getting a new home, you want to talk to my friend John Staples. You can go to staplesmortgage.com. They are 23 states strong, Patriot Home Mortgages. And, and you know, what a success story. They started small in little old St. George, Utah. They have grown and grown, and they have clout. They have experience, and, and they have this superstar by the name of John Staples and his lovely wife, Heather, who can make things happen for you to make your home dreams come true. 
Go to staplesmortgage.com. When you contact them, whether it's for your refi or whether it's for your new home loan, you be sure to tell them, hey, Brian Hyde was saying all kinds of good things about you. I just had to call and see for myself. They'll appreciate knowing that their advertising message reached your ear, and they'll appreciate having your business. And I promise you they will do a good job. All right, let's go to the phone, 801-331-8113. I've got John on the line with me. Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty well. Um, now, the, the initial thoughts that I had about this incident have only got stronger as I've um, seen more evidence come out and more camera angles and more eyewitness testimony. Um you know, I, I I can't deny that, you know, Kyle made some very poor choices or perhaps lacked some situational awareness that could have prevented this entirely. But, um, you know, as far as, you know, why did he get himself separated from his team? Um, and perhaps it wasn't the most prudent thing for him to be there in the first place, but... You know, at the same time, that wouldn't be too much different from me going to Provo to protect my brother's apartment complex if there was rioting there. Um, but unless something happened out of frame during the immediately before the first shooting, I can't see any way that any reasonable person who has the slightest understanding of self-defense law and, you know, when it is appropriate to use lethal force and, frankly, understanding of how to carry out that lethal force if it is necessary, his actions that unfortunately led to two people dying and another one being seriously, probably permanently injured. Right. No, I'm I'm with you on that, John. I look, I've looked over this legal analysis a couple of times. There've even been a couple of updates. And when you look at it with all the accompanying photographic and video evidence as well as, you know, what to, what can be ascertained from, you know, Google Maps and so forth about the location of people, the timeline and everything, um there is a question mark about okay, so why was he separated from the group that he was with originally guarding this uh this car lot but the bottom line is it does not appear i've seen no evidence that he was ever the aggressor and there's video evidence of him talking to a reporter before all of this stuff happened in which he was he was very measured and calm and said look i'm here i've got my medical kit i'm here to help any uh, protesters who get injured i'm here to render aid the rifle is just if i have to go into harm's way he didn't have battle rattle on no spare magazines you know he was just he was there i believe sincerely to help and then a violent situation, it appears, was forced on him. Oh, definitely. You know, I, I've, I've heard some people, you know, pull out that, well, he was a Trump supporter and a thin blue line supporter. Who cares? You know, I don't know of any way that someone's political beliefs negate their right to protect themselves. You know, I I probably would not agree with him entirely politically, but he is a human being. He has the right to protect himself. Hey, and and by that same token, I would say that uh, it would not... uh a person's prior criminal record 
has no bearing on whether or not they deserved to be shot. What the only thing that has a bearing on whether or not they deserve to be shot is are they are they behaving in a lethally aggressive manner? Agreed. You know, I, that's one one place that I I think uh, both you and I part ways with a lot of uh, mainstream conservatives is that um, you know that belief that when a person has paid their debt to society, they ought to have full rights restored, you know, in order to protect themselves, especially, um, you know, if they're, if they're too dangerous to be allowed that right, why are they in public in the first place? Exactly. No, I'm, I'm with you. I just, I don't know how to get the word out or how to, how to make it to, to where people can, can consider that maybe there's more here than, than meets the eye. But, but the thing, this is the high ground I don't want to lose sight of. It is perfectly acceptable for a peaceful individual to go and stand in defense of someone else's life, liberty, or property, and to be armed in doing so. But I, I'm qualifying that with a peaceful individual. In other words, someone who's acting defensively and not going on the offense or initiating aggression. Agreed. And I, I think the big question that has to be answered here to, you know, answer once and for all one way or another if he was justified in opening fire when he did is what happened out of frame right before that first shooting. And I think that's what will probably that'll probably come out in court. Yeah, I know that uh, some very high powered attorneys have have been retained uh, to help out with it. And some people, well, you only do that when you're guilty. But no, you, you do that when the system is being used in a way to to do something other than justice. And and the fact that they filed premeditated murder charges against him, rather than sending it to a grand jury and letting the grand jury weigh the evidence and say, okay, we'll decide whether or not this, this meets that, uh, that level. That's somebody throwing him under the bus. That's someone trying to placate the angry mob. Uh, agreed. That that read a lot like an immediate knee-jerk reaction in order to prevent um, an increase in the mob violence. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. John, thank you so much for your call. 801-331-8113. I want to move on here for a moment. I'll take your calls, but I, but there's an article here from Annie Holmquist. And I don't know if you get the sense that things are spiraling out of control. I will tell you, the thing that makes me most nervous about the fact that, uh, that this young man shot people in self-defense is I believe it ups the ante. And I, I'm not saying he shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying there's a line now that's been crossed. And it's my opinion that uh, Antifa and its sympathizer groups are going to feel like now we're justified in pulling the trigger when we say that we feel threatened. And so it may escalate. You may see them starting to get more trigger happy. It's already happened. I think of the guy down here in Provo who just happened to be driving through an area where they started blocking the streets. And when they started pounding on his car and and uh, and made him believe that they were going to try to beat their way into his car and then presumably beat him, he took off. As far as I know, he didn't run anybody over. At least I didn't hear any reports of anybody going under the wheels. But it didn't stop one of the protesters. And again, Antifa, which doesn't exist, uh, one of the, one of their adherents pulled a pistol and shot the guy. 
craziness. So here's the question for you. Is there a way out of these riots? I know John Miltimore writing for the Foundation for Economic Education says, you know, be careful when, when you start to advocate or you start to embrace political violence. The one thing that you can count on happening absolutely for sure is you are going to get more of it. I don't know anybody in their right mind who says, yeah, that's, you know, it's about time. We've been needing some political violence around here. Yeah, it's the kind of thing, once it's turned loose, it's very hard to put back on its leash. So I'm going to share with you this article from Annie Holmquist, coming full circle, a way out of the riots. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. 801-331-8113 if you'd like to join the conversation. By the way, a shout-out to our listeners. Wherever you happen to be catching us, we are found on a number of different uh, sources now, including the Loving Liberty Radio Network, fed by Ravens Media Network. Also on great radio stations like KTalk AM 1640 out of Salt Lake City, uh, KDXU in southern Utah, and uh, and. And away we go. I mean, the the momentum is building. I appreciate those of you who have helped open doors to help uh, take this little show to a larger and broader platform. Uh, We're on any podcast platform that you can think of. If you haven't subscribed, please stop by my website, thebrianhydeshow.com. Check out the, uh, the show notes. Check out our sponsors. Become a wrong thinker. You can actually sign up to become a regular supporter of the show. By the way, we have some really nice bonus material for those who become wrong thinkers and you can click on the website for more information about that again the brian show.com all right let's talk about coming full circle away out of the riots Annie holmquist writing for intellectual takeout says another night another round of riots they've now come full circle as rioters hit up minneapolis for the second time since george floyd's death now i don't know if you saw this story but the rationale of why were why are rioters reigniting their fury in minneapolis Well, rumors that police shot a black man. But the truth soon emerged that the black man killed himself. This is caught on video, by the way. I'm not going to recommend you watch the video. It's sad. It's a man committing suicide as police closed in due to his implication in a recent homicide. So, yes, police were on the scene where a black man was killed. He died by his own hand. Police were sitting there doing CPR on him, trying to keep him going at least you know, until medical personnel could get there. But uh, do you think this matters to people who are just in the mood for a good old-fashioned riot? Of course not. Annie Holmquist says the aftermath of the riots included four fires, countless shards of broken glass, and damages to businesses which have been struggling to stay afloat financially for months from the fallout of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, unfortunately, that's just the official aftermath. She says what's not counted in that toll are the deaths, or I'm sorry, the threats and friction that play out through fracases in every corner of the country. An example of these threats and intimidation that seem to happen with increasing regularity from D.C. diners to Minneapolis reporters occurred last night with Minneapolis uh, reporter Kyle Hooten. Presumably while covering the unfolding riots, Hooten claimed he had been robbed at gunpoint in Minneapolis for his bulletproof vest 
and backpack. But that was just the beginning. Hooten started getting threats he had received in re- posting threats he had received in response to his initial tweet. So where he or- originally said, hey, uh, I just got robbed at gunpoint in Minneapolis for my bulletproof vest and backpack. Here's a response he gets. Hope next time it's fatal and kills you, cracker. <laughs> Interesting, he said. Now, that would qualify as racism, but I've been told it's impossible to be racist against whites. Another legally actionable death threat from the good folks over at Black Lives Matters, a photograph of a shotgun and a pair of shoes. Sleep with an eye open, Kyle, says the message, and the threats extended to his family as well. There's a young man holding a revolver. I'm built different. His pistol, I tote, would blow your brains out. And then he says, okay, well, last one for a while. Kyle, Kyle, Kyle Hooten posts one that says, the mob wants to kill my family, apparently. This one, the person says, your family will shed blood because of your actions. They will feel eternal torment for your actions. To shed tears, they change blood. The pain they feel becomes unbearable. You will soon be alone. Now, clearly, we're dealing with some very rational and thoughtful people who have put a great deal of time and effort into fomenting their worldview and then going out there and promoting it. Not. Annie Holmquist says, I look, at pe- I look at incidents like this in disbelief. And she says, what in the world is wrong with people that they careen out of control over demonstrably false rumors, intimidating those who attempt to portray the truth of what's unfolding on city streets? She says, I realize many of these rioters or peaceful protesters, as the media calls them, claim to be seeking justice to make the world a better place. Yet I fail to see how chaotic riots, theft, threats, and fires advance those goals. She says the late political theorist and social critic Russell Kirk said it well when he noted, men cannot improve a society by setting fire to it. They must seek out its old virtues and bring them back into the light. So if the images of burning buildings in recent months are any indication... Those claiming to seek justice by rioting may be making a lot of noise, but they're certainly not improving society. So how do we find a better way? Where do we find these old virtues, she asks, the ones that Kirk intended or encouraged us to seek? She says, well, let's look at what made our country great. What did our founders base their ideas of government upon? Judging from their writings, they looked at history. They studied the nature of man. They recognized that man was inherently sinful, and they did their best to establish a government that would check that sinful nature and help society operate smoothly. In other words, they looked to Scripture and the Judeo-Christian code of ethics and morals advanced by Western civilization for centuries. Now, was the country they founded perfect? By no means. Yet it plowed on for decades, staying relatively peaceful and happy, proving, as George Washington predicted in his farewell address, that religion and morality are indispensable supports to the political prosperity of a nation. She says, given society's contemporary distaste for religion and morality, it should come as no surprise that we've lost that peace and happiness. In addition to the phrase above, Russell Kirk also observed, there exist always two aspects of order, the outer order of the commonwealth and the inner order of the soul. And then she poses the question, might that be how we find our way out of these riots, these burning cities, these threats and intimidations? Do we need to work on ordering our souls in the old virtues in order that we may also have an ordered society once again? 
That's a fair question. And it's actually a great observation. I don't know how you deal with the, with the stress or the, the frustration of what is unfolding in front of us. For me personally, the hardest part is to not feel hatred toward those people who are behaving hatefully. And I wish I could say, yeah, 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 I got that down. My heart's as pure as the driven snow, wouldn't you know? It's not. When I see, you know, diners being intimidated, when I see the poor guy who was walking, you know, just walking through Washington, D.C. yesterday, just an older white gentleman, and I mean older, like in his 70s, he's just trying to get somewhere. He's not talking to anybody. He's not trying to do anything. But the mob surrounds him. They challenge him. They shove him. And eventually they knock him down and knock him out and beat him. Now, if there's some way you can connect the dots in your brain to where that makes sense and that is, you know, justified, and well, of course, why why wouldn't they do that? Why any person would agree that's what a reasonable society would, would do or embrace? Because I'm not seeing it. And I guess that's the hardest part for me. I don't like to see innocent people being set upon by the human equivalent of a bunch of hyenas. It's very troubling. And no matter how good a person you think you are, no matter how quietly you go about your business or how careful you are not to attract unwanted attention, it doesn't change the fact that you and I and apparently everybody else, has all, we've all been invited to this great big social justice struggle session. And the folks who are throwing the party will not take no for an answer. In fact, I've got a commentary here from Jared Stepman. This was published on intellectualtakeout.org. Activists reenact the communist struggle sessions for the insufficiently woke. Little history lesson here. If you remember what Chairman Mao used to do to keep people in line during that, uh, that great leap forward and the, the cultural revolution that took place in China. Those who were deemed insufficiently ardent supporters of that movement had to publicly demonstrate their support by having what they called struggle sessions, confessing their crimes, weeping and being denounced by people. It was an act of purging their souls so that they could show that they too were woke. Jarrett Stepman says, silence is violence. We've heard that a lot this week. That's the attitude of radical woke activists who increasingly demand that fellow Americans not only agree with them, but publicly demonstrate their support at all times. And there have been several viral videos from Washington, D.C. from earlier this week showing groups marching around, shouting slogans, yelling things like white silence is violence. I'm going to come back to his article in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about uh, what this means. Maybe we can talk about how you and I should be able to resist these things peacefully, of course. Our show is brought to you by firesteel.com. If you don't have a reliable fire starter in your 72-hour kit or your preparations, you know, your car kit or even, you know, your long-term survival preparations, go to firesteel.com. Check out the demo videos on their website. Ferro rods, magnesium fire starters, strikers that can throw a shower of sparks. I mean, I, I use mine to light my propane burner because I'm scared that way. Firesteel.com. Put my name in at checkout, B-R-Y-A-N, and they will take 10% off the purchase, off the price of your purchase. Firesteel.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. By the way, if you want to join the conversation, I would welcome your input. 801-331-8113. And uh, just, you know, let's let's talk about what's going on here. I, I have this uh, article from Jared Stepman. Activists reenact communist struggle sessions for the insufficiently woke. I wish I could play one of them for you, but there is so much profanity in, in what these folks are saying that I can't do it because uh, this is uh, this is going out over the broadcast airwaves and it's unfortunately <laughs> it's it's not uh, within uh, what the FCC would allow so it's yeah I, I wish I could could share it with you but but I just can't however there is a, a lady who was is is pictured in one of these uh, these struggle sessions with and it's, it's, interestingly enough, it's Black Lives Matters, but the, the kids who are surrounding her—they're all white kids. They're all woke white kids, and they are demanding: "Put your fist in the air! Put your fist up there and show solidarity!" Blah blah blah. And and she resisted. Her name is Lauren B. Victor. She says, "Look, I actually support Black Lives Matter. I've helped in protests, but she felt like she was attacked by the crowd. She didn't want to be con- coerced." And she says, in the moment, it didn't feel right. And kudos to her. She has literally dozens of angry people shouting profanity at her, screaming at her. And they were just furious that she would not fall in line. Now, I know we all want to believe that we're going to be the one who is is brave enough not to, to give in to the thoughtless crowd. And I think it's to, to her credit that she, that she, you know, didn't give in in the face of it. Looked, I mean, they were leaning in close like they were going to threaten serious, legit violence against her. One of the protesters, who's a self-described justice journalist for Deadspin, a sports news and commentary website, um, said, good for you. You stood your ground. Now, he said it derisively. The incident was so bad, even Washington's mayor, Washington, D.C.'s mayor, Muriel Bowser, who's been a supporter of the BLM protests, called it highly inappropriate. And she suggested businesses may want to call law enforcement in the future if they're subjected to it. Of course, that could be a little rough if the activists get their demands to defund the police. I mean, we talked about the Evergreen College model of justice uh, uh, a couple of weeks back with Sean Kamak. And this is this is that same model being deployed off campus. And I guess if there's anything that I can say, it's you need to sort out for yourself. How will I respond? What can I reasonably do before you find yourself in this situation where pass or play is being forced on you? All right, let's go to the phone caller. Welcome to the show. Oh, dear. I'm going to hang up. We're going to try it again here because for whatever reason, I'm getting some serious feedback and that's painful for both me and for the caller. Now, this practice of mob shaming, you have to understand, has earlier precedents. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's a scary, scary thing. Like the Chinese Cultural Revolution of the 1960s, Mao Zedong's Communist Party. One of the tactics was, listen close, 
employ mobs of young people and students to swarm, shame, and harass those who showed insufficient zeal for the cause. And the victims of this tactic were berated till they admitted they were guilty of class crimes against the proletariat. You want to read a really good book on this subject? Red Scarf Girl. It's easy to find, it's easy to read, and it's an eyewitness account of what it was like to live through that cultural revolution. Let's go to the phone. Ray, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Um, I, 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 you and I are on the same page on, on this um, incident. Um, you, you just said, um, how would I react? You know, how, how would I, in that situation? And, and I, I, that's what I like about your show. You bring up situations. And um, have you ever heard that old saying, um, when the time for action arises, the time for decision has passed? Oh, yeah. Good example. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, because if I think, now what would I do if I was in that situation? I've always found that unless it's, you know, it's fight or flight or fight, you know, a, a life endangering situation. Um, and maybe sometimes it might include that, but I, I found it's best not to react. You know, it's, it's better to, um, you know, act, to choose a response instead of acting out of emotions. I always, all my life, you know, I always get in trouble when I act out of emotions. <laughs> you know, it, it seems to do good for everybody. You know, even if I have to bite the bullet, you know, you know, big deal. Um, it seems, it, it, you know, any way you can to de-escalate the situation, if you can, and choose an action that might be a win-win for everybody, if, if it's possible, you know, or just a no deal. Here, here, Ray, thank you so much for your call. 801-331-8113. There was a time where I would have said, well, this is when we need to get in their face. When they hit, we hit back twice as hard. And I know there are people who feel this way. And there may be a time where it's appropriate to do that. I don't think this is that time. And, and I say that from the standpoint of we need the moral high ground. This is this is more than just a, you know, this is not third generation warfare, which is one with steel on target and whoever has the most force carries the day. This is probably about as good an example of fourth generation warfare as I can think of. And we usually think, well, that's something that happens in faraway places. That's the Middle East. That's Palestine and the Israelis, blah, blah, blah. No, it's it's where the moral high ground determines who's going to prevail. And it's usually non-state actors that are carrying out that fourth-generation warfare. I'll admit, I really didn't think I would see it here in my own society, here on our streets. Yet here we are. Back to the phone. Caller, welcome to the show. Going once. Going twice. Okay. We're, we're short on time here, but I want to come back to Jarrett Stepman's article about these uh, struggle sessions. He says the radical left has evolved since the days of Mao, and those who oppose their agenda are now guilty of race crimes just because they don't show sufficient zeal for anti-racism as defined by the left. And he says uh, the way they define it, by the way, looks an awful lot like, well, racism. The message of these anti-racist mobs is quite simple. Join us or we'll berate you, refuse to comply, and we'll cancel you. Given the policy proposals of the anti-racist woke intellectual vanguard, which would eventually essentially strip the individual and civil rights of anyone who doesn't support their agenda, 
Is that really a surprise? He says the modern reenactment reenactments rather of Maoist struggle sessions may be limited for now, but they do demonstrate how the thuggish anti-speech culture of college campuses is coming to a city near you. Okay, let's end on a on a high note. We've got we've got two minutes. Let's let's make it count for some good news. There is a bright side. And the bright side is one of the presidential candidates who will remain unnamed is actively campaigning on a pandemic fear, more lockdowns platform. I don't have to tell you who that is. On the bright side, though, there are some very promising signs, according to Jeffrey A. Tucker, that the uh, lockdowns could be ending soon. He says for many months, it's been nonstop bad news on business closures, Arts trashed, museums shuttering, unemployment, missed surgeries and diagnostics, plus rising loneliness, drug overdoses, depression, and suicide. Every day has been as dark or darker than the previous one. And yet here we are with a political class all over the world refusing to admit error and fearing the reopening because they don't want to be seen as reversing course on the most catastrophic policies in modern history. But he says there are some signs of hope, small ones. We shall see. And he gives some pretty good examples here. I won't have time to go into them other than to tell you that uh, he's, he's got them all outlined in his article. You'll find it in the show notes at com. again for August 28th. He says the New York Post is publishing great content by the ferocious anti-lockdowner Alex Berenson, who said Sweden, Arizona... And Manaus don't have much in common, but in all of them, the epidemic burned out relatively quickly without hard lockdowns after a relatively low number of people were infected based on antibody tests. The fact that this is actually being published in news media shows that uh, the narrative is falling flat. Jeff Tucker sounds a very hopeful note. Look, I don't know if the politicians who instigated all of this are going to be held accountable. There's a part of me that really hopes that they will. But we don't know that yet. Bottom line is, keep standing for what's right. Keep speaking the truth with love. Take the hits and keep moving forward. And we'll catch up again real soon here on The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.